0: Well, we have come to the final message in our walk through the book of Philippians. In a minute, we're going to read our our 19th and final passage uh, from this wonderful little book this morning. Um, because of the way that I'm going to teach through it, it might be helpful to have that open. So, in your in your bulletin, you'll see that's on page 1,177, eleven seventy-seven on a Bible that might be in front of a chair in your neighborhood there, if you want to grab one of those and find that, that'd be great if you didn't bring one with you or your device. Um, Outside of a brief closing that we'll hit today too, Paul's last two paragraphs in this book are about money, contentment with what we have last week and, and giving this week. Um, it's no wonder Paul left that for the end. right? Nobody likes to talk about money. We've all been asked for money. We've all been asked for money in church. Uh, lots of churches, lots of preachers have pretty bad reputations for constantly asking for money. Sometimes that is well-deserved, and it can just be generally uncomfortable to do so. And we here at the Berean Church, we do not want people to feel coerced into giving money, or you know, uh, feel bad about not giving money. And we haven't always done this that well. Like years ago, we had a missionary speak here, and after he spoke, we took a we took an offering, and the deacons went. And they got the plates, and they're passing the plates around. And Lonnie, you know, Lonnie's not here this morning, but Lonnie got to the end of a row here, and the gentleman sitting there was a visitor, and he, Lonnie, held the plate out, and he wouldn't take it. So Lonnie kind of nudged him with it, and he just shook his head, no. And Lonnie leaned down and said, "It's for missions, you know." And the man crossed his arms and scowled and said, "I don't believe in them." So Lonnie leaned down and said, "Well, then you should take some money out because it's for the heathens anyway." See, we don't want—that's to... not a true story, by the way. Lonnie didn't. Lonnie did not really do that. Uh, but see, we don't, we don't want to make people feel like that about giving. Now, why is Paul writing about giving at the end of this letter about joy? Well, Paul has just been the recipient. He has, he's not asking for money, and he makes that very clear. He's just been the recipient of an offering. His friends in the church he planted in Philippi, which is in Macedonia or northern Greece, they took up a collection. They sent it to Rome where Paul's imprisoned with a man named Epaphroditus to pay for Paul's sort of upkeep, room and board. That's the way it worked in the Roman Empire. And so Paul has to say thank you. There are good Bible scholars who believe that this is the whole reason Paul sat down to write this letter, Epaphroditus is going home. Paul has to say thank you, but he doesn't want to just say thanks for the money. Lest they get the wrong idea, Paul doesn't want the Philippians to think he he's asking for more that they haven't been generous enough. He doesn't want them. Uh, To get the wrong idea about his condition, that he has more joy now because he has more money now. That's not the way Paul's joy works. So he sets down and he writes this letter of joy. About how to have joy in all circumstances. And even in his thank you section, which was last week's passage and this week's, he does say thank you, but he makes sure to say, I was content I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in, even if I'm being humiliated on death row. I'm content. And then today he's going to talk about, though, giving being good, but good mainly for the giver. And that's how he's going to close this letter. Let's read our passage first Philippians 4, verses 14 through 23. May read this way. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in this matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. It's not that I seek the gift itself, Instead, I seek for the profit which increases your account. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches, and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul, where before we picked up right there, Paul just spent a whole paragraph talking about contentment talking about how he had learned to be content wherever he's at, but even before he received their financial gift. Even so, he wants to make sure that his friends in Philippi hear him say this, Nevertheless, even though I was content, nevertheless, you did well to share with me in my trouble and my affliction. You did good, my friends. Maybe it seems like an overly simplistic point to make out of this passage, but I think the first thing this passage teaches or reminds us is that giving is good. Financial giving, financial generosity, taking money, it's all God's, but taking money that God has allowed me to have and giving a portion of that away to those with more needs. Uh, or to fund gospel ministries that's a good thing and it's a it's a basic Christian ethic financial giving has been a part of being a Christian from the very beginning this is the first century some of these are these are like the original Christians or close to it And giving is supposed to be part of our joy, not a chore, not an obligation. Right? Sometimes I feel like people feel like giving is like some chore they hate to do, but they know they gotta do it. Oh, I gotta write the check again. Oh, it's good. If you look down at verse eighteen, Paul. Says, I've received everything. Boy, I have everything I need here on death row. Um, I received what you got. Thanks so much. And here's what he calls their gift: a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice. He says it's very pleasing to God. He uses Old Testament sacrifice language to describe a financial gift. It's a, a sweet smelling aroma to God. It's, a, it's, it's an acceptable sacrifice, it is sacrificial it is costly it's to be costly if I only give that which the government's going to take anyway and I just redirect it from their pockets into the church am I really a giver? and I say that I, we itemize our taxes but it is sacrificial but it's good now What makes our financial giving so pleasing to God? Why does God like our giving money so much? Does God need the money? God is never going to get a part-time job, right? He's not. He's not going to get it like a short order cook. Manna flipping, right? It's not going to be God. He's not bivocational. So why, why does Paul say It's so pleasing to God when His people give. Does God like it when His people give? Apparently so. Why if He doesn't need the money? Well, first, God in His grace, God God can get whatever God wants done. He can get it done by Himself just fine. He doesn't really need any help. But in His grace, He allows lunkheads like us to participate in the great things that He does. And he's ordained that this world, in, in large part, works through financial systems and financial means. And it does take money for us to get things done. So that's part of it. He allows us to participate in what he has promised to do in building his church and in taking care of the poor and things like that. But also, I think God likes it when his people give generously. Because it's an expression, it's a demonstration that God has our hearts. There's a line, I think it's from John Piper, but I didn't look it up. Rachel and I like a lot. God does not mind when his people have money. But God hates it when money has his people. And when we give, like sacrificially and generously, It's an expression that God has done something in our hearts. If if I can just learn, if we can just learn last week's passage about contentment, and I would encourage you to go listen to that one if you weren't here or watch it on Facebook or YouTube. But if we can just learn that our contentment really can come from the next world instead of this one, our contentment really can come from Christ, that we have all we need. If we have Christ, our joy can grow in Him and something we can't lose. The result is my heart really can start to relax its grip on some of this other stuff I have been using to try to make me feel content. Money is just one example of those things. So God likes it when we give because God likes it when He has our heart. So that's the first thing we learn in today's passage. Just a reminder, giving is good. Now, there's something else I kind of want to get to in this passage that i got to set up a bit. Okay, It's kind of hidden for us in this passage. Paul didn't hide it. It just doesn't stick out to us because we're reading this 2,000 years later and halfway around the globe in a culture that in some ways is very different. But all over this passage, there's stuff about reciprocal relationships. I want to I explain that a bit. Um, in Paul's culture, first, in the first century Greco-Roman Mediterranean world, uh, friendship required reciprocity. It just means if I would give you something and we're friends, you would be required to give something back. There are still cultures like this in the world. Um, When missionaries come, sometimes they talk about when we meet uh, uh, indigenous cultures, how they start a lot of times is by just leaving gifts, right? And you leave gifts and you leave gifts. And at some point in in some areas, if the other culture starts leaving things in return, that's reciprocity. Now we're getting somewhere. Now they see us maybe a relationship is, is starting. And so when Paul says, when he talks about in verse 15... This matter of giving and receiving, that's what he's talking about. Paul says, you, Philippians, you were early adopters in supporting my ministry. And he talks about his time there in Macedonia, around cities like Thessalonica, uh, Philippi, which was first, Berea was up there. Um, Paul says, you were the first ones. You guys started supporting But the Philippians weren't giving Paul money for nothing. They were actually reciprocating. Because Paul, they recognized that Paul had already given them something very valuable. What was it? The gospel. And was that a costly gift that Paul gave? Yes. Was it costly to God? Sure. Cost him his son. Was it costly to Paul? Yes. Remember what happened to Paul in Philippi? He got jailed. He got tortured. And the Philippians were the first church to realize this man has given us us something incredibly valuable and we're friends with him. And so they reciprocated that gift. They would give money to support his church planting ministry. Now, that's been a long time ago. We're years and years in the future, and here's Paul chained to a Roman guard, imprisoned in Rome. And here comes a guy; I think he recognized Paphroditus. What are you doing here? And Paphroditus says, "Let me show you what I'm doing here." And he opens the briefcase. Ooh, right, it is like glowing gold. It's like this. Paul receives a new gift. See, there are even Stephen before. Years later, they have given to Paul. What do the rules of friendship require that Paul do? Give back. Reciprocate. But Paul's in prison. In some ways, he can't. So that helps us make sense of some of the things that Paul says. So look at what Paul says. About this matter of giving and receiving, verse 19, Paul says... I guess my dad's going to have to pick up the bill for this one. He says, "My God will supply your every need according to His glorious riches or His riches in glory." Because I, I can't. Now I want to visit about that verse a little bit. I think it's important that we recognize that context because. Philippians four nineteen is one of those that gets pulled out of its context and misused. Something fierce, um, by uh, the preacher on TV, by the uh, that asks you to send money, or uh, the the outfit. You ever get one of those things in the mail that has the little? My favorite one's the little fake prayer rug. anybody ever get the prayer rug in the mail? It's on an eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper, and it's printed to look like. And if you, you're supposed to put it down and kneel on it. And then when you pray, guess what? God will supply your every need. Right? Or a little vial of oil. And you're supposed to pour that somewhere. Like I, I, I recommend pouring it in the garbage where all that stuff goes. Because they'll say, hey, if you do that, you send money. That's what Paul said. Paul got money from them and said, Now God's going to supply your every need. You just wait and see how much money you're going to get from God. Uh, That's not at all what what this means. But Paul meant what he said. My God will supply your every need according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Is that still true? How about this one? Psalm 37.4 on the bottom of the screen there. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will, give, he will give you the desires of your heart. Are those things still true? And If those things are true, how and why? We just, we just prayed for Linda Vaughn. Our friend Linda's been laid up, hurting, and really having a hard time breathing for I don't even know how long? Why hasn't God supplied her needs? Why hasn't God given her the desires of her heart? If those two things are true, why do we have so many unfulfilled needs and desires in our hearts? Well, I want to tell you these things are true. And I want to tell you why and how. If you boil all of your needs and the desire, even the desires of your heart, if you boil all those things down, here's what I think you will find. The desires of our hearts are for things like this. For health, I want to feel good. I want pain, relief. I want safety and to feel safe. I have a desire for emotional well-being. I have a desire, a need to to be loved, uh, to be valued. I have a desire, a need to feel like I belong to something that's bigger than just me. I have a desire to be significant. I have a need, a desire to be heard, to be affirmed. I'm convinced if we boil down all of the desires of our heart, they will fit right there, somewhere. Now, here's our problem. We ask not God to fill those desires. We ask the stuff God has made to fill those desires for us. What Paul said elsewhere, we don't desire the creator, we desire the creature, right? not the one who created the stuff he created, to make us feel those ways. And so what happens is we wind up ignoring. We wind up putting on the back burner. We wind up being too busy for the one who actually can fulfill those things. Because we spend all our lives trying to get things of this earth to make us feel like that, and none of it works. We chase it, we chase it, we chase it. It We either never get it, or it's not enough when we've we've got it. So we move on to something else, because we have all these needs in our hearts, and they're not being met, because only God can meet those needs. And folks, friends, friends, God will supply every one of those needs. In what? In whom? In Christ Jesus. Delight yourself in Him. Here's the promise He will give you the desires of your heart. I don't think Psalm 37:4 says, if you delight yourself good enough, suddenly you won't have any feelings of need anymore. No. Delight yourself in the one who gives you this promise. He will give you the desires of your heart. He will. Now we may have to suffer through some lack of those things for the time being. And we will. But a day is coming, beloved, when the God of this universe is going to give you every desire of your heart. So in some ways, Paul, I think it hurts his heart to be able to say, you've given me this gift and you are my friends and I want to reciprocate and I can't, but in a way, I don't have to. Because my God and your God, my Father and your Father, He's going to give you your every need. Let's say I could give you back Ten times more money than you gave me. Someday we're going to look at that amount of money and go, so what? Another thing we learned from this passage is that Paul definitely believed that giving would ultimately be good for the giver. Not just in some reciprocating way where if you give this much, God will make sure you get this much back. If I have to choose between having five times the money back I gave to some preacher on TV over the next however many years I'm going to live, no guarantee, five years, ten years, 25 years, or having what God can give me all the desires of my heart forever and ever and ever, which one will you choose? So it's good for the giver to give, not in what we get back here and now. Paul says, verse 17, I'm not writing all this. I'm not telling you thank you because I'm trying to coerce you into giving me more money. I don't say this because I'm seeking a gift. What I've always been seeking is something Paul calls the credit that abounds to your account. This isn't the first time Paul's talked about bank accounts before God in this letter. You remember chapter 3? Um, Paul talked about, like in verses 7 through 11 of chapter 3, Paul said, "I all my gains I've counted as loss. You remember that part? Um, all the stuff, he used financial words, and he talked about his account. All the stuff I used to think were deposits before God, in my account before God, I've now learned were actually withdrawals. All the stuff I thought I was doing to make God like me, I realized was keeping me further away from actually being accepted and liked by God. Because before long, I do these good things. I have this righteousness of my own. And before long, I think I'm good before God because of these good deeds I have done. Paul said, I realized I was bankrupt before God. And those good deeds were keeping me bankrupt. Until he was confronted with the overwhelming righteousness of the risen Christ, that's when he realized, like, I'm not even close to being righteous on my own. Okay, that's that's how Paul has used his bank account before God. He learned he needed, in his account, a righteousness not from good deeds, a righteousness not of my own, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, believe so that's how Paul has talked about uh, his bank account before God. So I don't want you to look at verse 17 and read Paul saying I seek the credit I don't I, I'm glad you guys gave you did a really good thing. God really, really likes it. And I've been after the credit that abounds to your account. I don't want you to read that and think, oh, I see. If I want to be in God's good graces, I better start giving. That's not what I want. If I want God to like me more next week than He did this week, I better put an extra 20 bucks in that check. Paul would never say anything like that. Paul would never mean anything because Paul already talked about how he got credit in his account before God. And it wasn't through anything he did. It was through what he did. Only. So, so what's Paul mean? Paul says, I, I don't say thank you, Philippians, because I'm trying to coerce you into giving me more money. I say thank you and I say praise God because I've always been seeking the credit that abounds to your account and when Epaphroditus walked through that door with a big bag of money, case of money I don't chest, I don't know what they carried it in here's what Paul realized I think they're getting it I think they still got it, like I didn't need the gift but they didn't feel like they needed it either That's why it's here. Paul says, what I seek is the credit that abounds your account, which only comes if you believe in and love Jesus. That's all I've ever wanted for you, Philippians, is for you to love Jesus. When you love Jesus and you have the aim that Paul has, which is to know him more and more. You know him better. You love him more. You'll learn to trust him. Your joy is there. And suddenly, the Philippians' hearts have started to let go of what everyone else hordes to try to make themselves feel content. And Paul says, I am so thankful for this sweet-smelling aroma to God. The gift is to God. Because it shows that the credit's in your account, and that's all I've ever wanted for you, my friends, in Philippi. And now we've come, sadly, to the final four verses this book. It's just a closing, but I think there's a really, I've given a really profound title to these last four verses. I call them too short for their own sermon. That's what I call them. Not really, Uh, but it is. Paul says, may glory be given to God, our father forever and ever. Amen. Give greetings to all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers with me here send their greetings, and I want to zero in just on this little bit as Paul closes. Because it has something to do with giving. Paul says, all the saints greet you, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Paul closes in mostly his customary letter, only it's really short. I almost wonder if he wasn't running out of paper or like in American prisons, you only get so much space to write. This is really brief, but he sneaks in while he says all the Christians here say hi to all the Christians there in Greece, especially the ones who belong to Caesar's household. Here's what that means. There are, there are men and women from the inner circle of the upper echelon of power in the Roman Empire who believe in Jesus Christ and want to say hi to their Christian brothers and sisters they've never met. Maybe Paul stuck this in there because this is still about giving. I want you to know you're not just Philippians. You're not just helping an old Jewish guy survive prison. You're still giving to missions. Because there are people who believe in Jesus Christ now who would not have if I hadn't been arrested. And this is still my ministry, and I can be content right here. And here's why. What I want is the credit that abounds to other people's accounts. And there are people in Caesar's household, Nero, who believe in Jesus. Just for today, this isn't in my notes, but As we pray for people in Afghanistan, we should probably put the Taliban on our list. The Taliban still have not yet killed as many Christians as Nero did. And guess who God started saving 2,000 years ago? People right around Nero. I don't think Nero ever got it. Some did. But those who became Christians, were, they, were other Christians saved because they were saved? I would assume so. And so that's, that's the book. That's Philippians. As we close this letter, I want to leave you with these thoughts. First, just about this passage, I want you to hear me say this. I don't want you to hear this message and feel guilted or coerced into starting to give money here or in increasing the amount of money you give here. That's not what I want. To be, to be clear, I won't know if you do or don't. I don't count any of the money. I try to stay as far away from that as I can. But I do want the credit that abounds your account. I want you to love Jesus. There's a reason we don't spend much time asking for money here. There's a reason we decided not to pass plates uh, anymore, even after the government let us pass things again. This is why we don't need to. I don't want someone, we don't want someone to feel guilted into dropping a 20. I don't want to look like an idiot for not giving anything. Um, We can look like idiots for other reasons, right? We don't have to do it for that. Here's what what I want. Here's what we want. I want you to love Jesus and find your treasure and your joy in Him. And as you do that, I know the giving will take care of itself. Because again, our hearts will let go of the stuff that's not trying to make us content. And our hearts will pursue... How we might be involved helping other people find that credit that abounds their account, which is faith in Christ Jesus. And the reason our hearts will do that is just because there's so much joy in Christ Jesus. This, this book of Philippians is so wonderful. It reminds me of this C.S. Lewis quote uh, from The Weight of Glory. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity, and I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Do you hear his point there? It's not just like, that. oh, there's the sun. Even if it's cloudy, I know the sun has risen because it helps me see everything else. See, when you get to love Jesus Christ, it starts to affect the way you see everything else. And it will make us this kind of person. Here's some things from the book of Philippians that I pulled out to close with. When we have the real prize, which is knowing Jesus Christ, we strive for Christian maturity, which is knowing Jesus better. We love Him more. We trust Him more. We grow in this joy that Paul's been talking about. Then, we will begin to experience and understand what Paul talked about in this book like this. We'll begin to have a peace that transcends all understanding. We'll have peace in our hearts. It doesn't even make sense given what we're going through. It comes from having our joy in Christ. As we work out our salvation, we put our salvation to work, even when life is really scary, we will know it's worth it because we're confident that the one who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We will know when we have our hope firmly set in Christ that we can do all things through Christ who gives us our strength to do what he wants. We'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. When? Always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Because we will know, as Paul said in this book, our citizenship is actually in heaven. And we're awaiting a Savior for there more than we're awaiting anything else. More and more, we'll do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, we'll be able to put others in front of ourselves, not as a chore, because it's a joy. Because when we get confident in this Savior and this faith, for us to live will be Christ. And to die will be gain. That's Philippians. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for this book of joy written by a broken, beaten, imprisoned man who was free in Christ. God, we want to be more and more like him as he was like Jesus. God, we want... For one another and for other people in this part of the world, the the credit that abounds our account before you, which only comes through faith in Christ. And as we find more and more value in Him, help the clutches of our hearts release from that which we've held on to to try to make ourselves feel content. But as the songwriter once wrote, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Thank you for the joy we have in Christ in the book of Philippians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.